You guys, I'm going to put it to you straight. If you haven't read The Fault in Our Stars, stop listening, put down the phone, turn off the Bluetooth speaker, take out the AirPods, go read The Fault in Our Stars. Uh, Our episode will be getting into major spoilers right off the bat, so please don't do yourself a disservice. Read the book, because it's a really, really good book, and we get into some like really personal things in this episode, and we would hate for any of your experience to be ruined by us spoiling the book for you. So go read the book. Uh, I don't have anything else to say, because if I say anything more, I'll just be spoiling it for you. So go read The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. And if you've read it, please enjoy. Ooh, boy, I love you so. Never, ever, ever gonna let you go. I hope you don't have cancer. Ryan, people can't hear my beautiful lyrics if you sing over them with your nonsense. No, I was your I was your backup melody. I was your I was your harmony. All right, well, we're... mix yourself low in it, I guess. <sighs> but with, but I, I guess good, right? I mean, I'm you good. know, here, hold on. You know, I'm the lead. You know, I'm the lead singer of this group, right? Wait, you're the lead singer, Ryan. We've had this conversation before. Don't let me get Jerry involved. <laughs> don't make you don't mean make Gary. Me, no, don't Gary Gergich is our manager. No, Gary's our manager. Jerry is our manager. I keep telling you not to disrespect him. This is this is why you're never going to get hit in the industry, Ryan. Because no, I know, I know. Larry is our manager. No, I get it. it. I get it. What did I yeah. say, Jerry? <laughs> yeah, it's Gary. Damn it, Jerry! You just had to do your job, didn't you? Yeah, can't you do anything wrong, Jerry? I don't have a game for us this week, so I don't think we're going to play a game. Welcome everybody to a gentleman's guide to rom-coms. My name is Kelly McCrillis, and as you can probably tell, I'm on a different mic because I'm in a different house than Ryan. This is the first time we haven't recorded in like seven weeks, and it's making me so freaked out, man. I'm so freaked out. Because your wife is pregnant and my wife has a cold and we want to be extra super safe because pregnancy is a thing to cherish. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Robin, like, leaned over to me the other day, being that seven months pregnant that she is, um, that the very specific kind of round. And she was like, "Uh, I think I'm going to miss being pregnant. (laughs) Whereas also like a couple hours earlier, she was like, oh, it's hard to stand up. There's something so cuddly about a pregnant woman. They're just they're just so lovable and huggable. There's there's something about laying your head on a pregnant woman's belly cuz you get to hear your baby and stuff and that's cool. But also like I want to like I want to cuddle harder because you're right. She is very cuddly, but I can't because because there's a baby in there and you're only allowed to press so hard. It doesn't matter what is happening. I'm always worried that the baby will get squished if I'm like hugging her or like she bumps into a door or something. I'm like, oh my God, are yeah. you okay? Are you guys okay? You turn immediately into seventh grade, <laughs> seventh grade dance partners. <laughs> like, uh, my hips are hooked. <laughs> Don't want to hurt the baby. Uh, Ryan, instead of a game this week, can I, um, I, oh, hey listeners, Ryan's going to create a really cool introduction for this segment. And it's called, Were We Snobs Today? Mmm, snobby? <laughs> and this Probably. Sa- I think the question is answered. Uh, well, I need you to answer whether I was, I'm being a snob. Asked and answered. Because I think we need, you and I are uh, uh, commensurate <laughs> snobs. And we need, we need one of the two of us to keep the other one in check, right? Okay, I'll check you. 
All right. So, um, and whenever you feel like this, feel free to come at, come at me and be like, was I a snob? Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> well, I've been watching like a lot of baby stuff, right? Uh, um, you've been watching baby stuff like Daniel Tiger? Oh, see, even or? I'm doing it. Oh, okay. Um, no, I'd love to watch Daniel Tiger. No, I've been watching like breastfeeding courses and uh, like, sure. yeah. you know, just like uh, how to do X with with a baby and a lot of these are run by cool nurses who yep. are taking the time to put up stuff online and they're they're making video courses or what have you yep. um and there's this nomenclature within the child rearing world that is very it goes against kind of my intention well no it goes against the standard that i try to hold myself to and fail all the time mm-hmm. where instead of using your, they will just cut out your when they're talking about a baby. So instead of saying when your baby or when the baby or when our baby does X, they'll just say when baby does X. <laughs> it's like Cary Grant and bringing up baby. <laughs> He's like, no, it's for baby. <laughs> exactly. But that makes sense because that's the baby's name. Now, I, I think this is just doctor lingo where uh, or medical lingo where they're like, OK, so we're just going to refer to the baby, your baby, as baby, because we don't want to presume name or whatever. But it annoys the absolute crap out of me because somebody's like, okay, and when you put baby in here and then baby goes to bed or when we you go to baby's room and I'm like, baby's not its name. <laughs> baby's not its name. But they don't know baby's name. I know. But so what they do is they get lazy and or it's not lazy. I guess the word that I assume that they would use is efficient where they say, <clears throat> I don't want to use the word your baby because it's literally like they're speaking to you and they're saying, OK, now when you have baby on breast, do this rather than saying when you have your baby on the breast, do this. They're just like, we're going to get to the the heart of what we're talking about without saying like without adding any complicated pronouns or you know nouns in the mix here and so i was just wondering am i being a snob no i think you're being a particular english major and it's your job to make sure an article is attached to baby like the umbilical cord you think there should be an article and they keep snipping it off and i'm like it's not ready yet you need to snip it because when baby's out no umbilical cord, no article. There's no definitive article of the. There's no indefinitive article of a. It's just bebe. Bebe. So, to answer your question, ding, you're a snob. But it's a good thing because you're keeping us all in check. I just I thought you said I just wasn't a snob. Uh, no, I've changed my mind. You're oh, a snob. okay. <laughs> but sometimes it's okay to be a snob because you love baby. See, it's weird. I, I, I'm in agreement with you. There Thank should be you. a, the, or your attached because whose baby is it? And to be fair, the nurse really dem- never really knows. I think hey, that's true. There's there's no Jerry Springer or Montel Williams on <laughs> on on set where where the baby is being born. Has this happened to you yet? When you go to a checkup where they're asking your lady about the baby and so you said your about- lady. You didn't say. You you didn't say lady. <laughs> because I'm not a nurse. I'm not attached to the nurse like code that they seem to be. 
But when you're in the appointment, are you and they they are asking Robin about, you know, is this your first pregnancy? Is this like, um, you know, have you had a baby at all in your vicinity before? Do you know what to do when a baby is thrown at you? Like those questions that are very boilerplate. You know what I mean? They've they've never asked us those questions. They've never asked if a baby's been thrown at her. (laughs) No, um, not that. Um, definitely, but they haven't asked any of those boilerplate questions. Like they have her medical records, so they know she hasn't had a kid. Yeah. Um, they just so presume weird. that we're doing our own research and then they no, ask us, do you guys have any questions? Every time I went in, they like ask Sarah, is this your first, is this your first child? And she's always like, yes, for the eighth time, you guys, this is my first child. Oh no. And we- then they turn to me and they're like, is this your first child? <laughs> and I was like, Yes. <laughs> yeah, you brought but, this but up. I get it. You brought this up on a, a previous episode, I think. I, this really yeah. stuck with you. I, it just caught me off guard because I'm so used to my world where people like know me a little sure. bit just by reputation of like, well, <laughs> you walk through the streets and people is like, hey, that guy. <laughs> well, people have known me for a while, like pre Sarah. And so they knew that I never had a child before Sarah and then Sarah happened and now I have child. So it just it just caught me off guard because I'm like, don't you know me, lady? (laughs) No, luckily, um, luckily, every single time we've gone in, it's been with the same person. So, okay. so and, and not only that, but she knows us personally. Yeah. So it's pretty cool like that. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Seven months, two months to go. Two months, only two more checkups, I think, before uh, we have our baby. And speaking of hospitals, uh, what's today's not movie? Uh, <laughs> it's We're doing book club once again, everybody. Book club, book club, get your book club. Cue violins. We are doing John Green's The Fault in Our Stars. Ever heard of it? This is, <laughs> uh, according to the back... And number one international bestseller. Uh, I'm sorry, but the Bible is the number one international bestseller. Nice try, back of the book cover. Number think, one okay. indie bestseller. I think it's. I think it's saying it hit number one on the lists. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Okay. There you go. Number um, one Wall Street Journal bestseller. I never thought those business types would get into it, but they did. Number one New York Times bestseller is on the front of my book. Oh, 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 okay. Uh, what's on the front of my book? Um, yeah, I got we that too. We have the same book. Oh, look at that. You got that? Hey! So, I think what we've clarified from the outside is that this is a bestseller. Yeah. Which is the only kind, really, the only kind that we review here on Romcom Gents. So why don't we just dive in and tell a story? Oh, sure. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. The Fault in Our Stars is a cancer teen romantic drama. Yes, I would say so. With a little comedy thrown in for fun. Yes, for funsies. And it's a uh, first-person book uh, from the perspective of Hazel Grace, uh, who is our protagonist. Um, She is a, what is she, 16? Uh, Going on 17. Baby, it's time to think. She... (laughs) 
she is, yes, she's a 16 year old and she has thyroid cancer that has spread to her lungs. And so she's kind of um, also a, a miracle survivor um, where she, people didn't think she was going to survive and she ended up doing so. But now she is on like a respirator, basically 24 um, seven. Is it a respirator? To- it's that's uh, the nubbins into her nose that gives her oxygen. I don't know if it respirates for her, right? No, you're right. I um, I forget what they call it. So uh, just, you know, for clarity's sake, I read this book a month and a half ago. And then I was like, we should do this for the podcast. And Ryan's like, cool, I'll read it. And so there might be details like that that you have to really bring up um, yeah, no to the fore. I'll catch you. Uh, yeah, so she needs, she basically needs an oxygen tank with her at all times. Right. And sometimes when she sleeps, I think she's on a respirator. Yeah. Um, and uh, her mom basically foists her into going to um, to like kind of a support group and uh, kind of against her will because she's she seems to be like leaps and bounds intellectually ahead of her peers, um, yeah. which I, I can imagine happens when you're faced with um, death defying moments in your life. But yeah. she's she's kind of that cool teenager who's like. I'll do this thing to make my parents happy, but like I would so much rather be like going to college classes or like thinking deep thoughts in my room and writing in my journal <laughs> or just watching reality shows because you know when you are on the heels of death as often as she is, you, you need kinda, a distraction, yeah, yeah. And there's kind of a low grade depression to Hazel because of you know the existential angst of having cancer. Yeah, and, and never I having kissed somebody. To. I've or, never had that problem. <laughs> um, and so she she goes to this support groups that's like pretty corny, um, especially for a teenager, probably, where uh, they all meet in this church basement in the heart of Jesus. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, the heart it. of Jesus. The literal heart of Jesus. Yep. <laughs> and uh, that's where she meets Augustus Waters. Coolest love interest i think we might have had on this show so far <laughs> yeah he had uh cancer of the bones i can't remember what it's, it's called osteoscarcoma sarcoma yeah and he lost a leg in the process but he is in remission so he's a little bit chipper uh while he's in the room and talking yeah, compared to, to his quote-unquote peers and he's there with isaac who has already lost one eye and probably is going to lose his other eye yeah. And spoiler alert, he loses his other eye. Yeah. Uh big spoilers for this book. Like Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> spoilers. Spoilers. Like I know that, that that should be on the front of every single one of our podcasts, but like this is this is definitely a book that you don't want spoiled for you, a book or movie. And so if you're like I want to go into I want to go into this story fresh. Um yeah. don't because if, keep listening. <laughs> if I said at the end of You've Got Mail, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan get together. It's like you you wouldn't be that pissed at me. No, no, you're like, yeah, I figured as much. <laughs> but the 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 plot details that happen in this book, like I read this book in one sitting or one day. I, I got up and went to the bathroom a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Literally not one sitting. <laughs> but I read it because I had to know what happened to these characters because by its nature, it's the most melodramatic story we've ever read. By far, 
by leaps and bounds. So you, we we've talked we talked about this a little bit in um, the Moulin Rouge episode where yeah. melodrama is there is a an, there is something driving the plot that is kind of an inescapable conundrum in a way mm-hmm. where and and the the characters are driven by this one thing that keeps pushing their very existence. Yeah. Um, and I, I really want to say up front, this is not melodrama in the same way that you could use it for a soap opera. No, that's cheap melodrama. This right. is great melodrama. This is grand melodrama. Yeah. Melodrama does not on its own mean it's bad. People say, I think the problem is people use melodramatic incorrectly. They're, they're always like, don't be so melodramatic when, you know, you're telling your little brother to stop being just being dramatic about something like i don't get a cookie (laughs) you say stop being melodramatic what you're really saying is stop being stop it with the cheap theatricals right which there are like the melodrama of a um of a soap opera is something like ah yes this person does have cancer and so we are infusing this situation with drama that really doesn't matter that much, actually. When you yeah. strip when you strip that drama away, it, it really the story does become mellow <laughs> in, yeah. in a manner of speaking. That's not why it's called that, but Yeah, and you know, just to stay on the tangent for just a second longer, melodrama was the chief genre of silent films because you couldn't really use dialogue, so you had to use these like big sweeping things like poverty or you know uh, war or things that are like taking our main characters and swirling them around it's kind of like plot gesticulation yeah 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 exactly i like that plot gesticulation (laughs) that also sounds like a really bad disease (laughs) i have the plot gesticulation oh Oh, so sorry just be melodramatic okay 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 (laughs) uh so yeah it's this is a great i mean maybe i should just we're in the midst of, you know, telling the story, but I, I do want to say right off the bat that I loved this book. Me, me, Ryan, me too. There are some quibbles we'll get into later, but overall, I really love this book. Me, me as well. And this was actually the whole reason we're reading this book is because Robin, Robin had it on her shelf and I was looking for a book to read at one point. And she's like, you should really read Fault in Our Stars. She was reading another John Green book called Turtles All the Way Down. She highly recommends it. I haven't read it yet. Um, and we oftentimes watch John Green's, um, uh, gosh, what is it called? Um, he, he has a YouTube series. He has a YouTube series. Uh, I can't, I can't think of it for some reason right now, but it's basically like, um, really quick lessons on anything from history to literature, to myth, to what have you. And him and his, um, brother, Hank Green, Hank takes care of all the science side of it. And mm. so, um, like, you know, multi-talented artist, uh, in John Green. Yeah, and you know, for you, Kelly, I think your taste—you are more interested in storytelling about young people, and you're always fascinated by like. I remember you like watched mo- that movie Kess like one day, and you're like, I don't know if you liked it or not, but you watched it, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And <laughs> you want to know a secret? I, so I bought Kess. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you bought it. You're like, no. I should watch that. But but I I am interested in the idea of growing up and the idea of like how children see the world, which is why I was so interested in Miyazaki and why I've tried to slowly like bring you into yeah. that world because it's so fascinating looking at the world from a place that we've already been. Yeah, and in fact, Robin and I had a huge. The reason why I bring this up, it's all has to do with the plot of this book. But Robin and I 
watched um, a Star Trek episode the other day where um, a character who used to be basically more robotic has a spiritual experience for the first time. Mm. And we talked a lot about what a spiritual experience means, what an existential experience means. Mm -hmm. And we were just talking about like how, how does one connect to like your memories of being a child and stuff? And I think this kind of literature is something that I gravitate towards because I'm always like, I'm always pursued in a weird way by my, my childhood Mm -hmm. in in different parts and respects. And so, yeah, I really do like these books and I'm glad that you liked it as well. Yeah. Um, So let us proceed in the story of the fault in our stars. (laughs) Uh, so Hazel and Gus meet and they have this good meet cute that's appropriate to the story where she basically tells him like he's afraid his big fear is oblivion and she's like well all life ends anyways so get over it <laughs> but in her own way that's very eloquent and very like delicate but also just kind of like you know here's here's how I've come to terms with things and maybe you should you know come to the same conclusion as me and then they just kind of hit it off from there. Yeah, I liked their meet cute a lot um, in this group. And her and Augustus and Isaac are are each of these three very, I, I want to say sarcastic, um, see through the bullshit kind of kids. Yeah. Where they always, like no matter what, they always kind of feel like they're being talked down to. Yeah, which, uh, you know, God bless John Green. He gets it. And the only other person who gets this in storytelling, maybe two other people, is uh john hughes oh yeah the that's the theme of the breakfast club is that adults are idiots um and ferris bueller and probably every other one (laughs) um not uncle buck because uncle buck's a cool adult he's the cool one happy birthday (laughs) i hope you're hungry (laughs) you should see that toast i couldn't even get it through the door but then you know miyazaki does get at the same stuff too in a movie like whisper the heart that the parents mean well but it's like they can't quite grasp what their kid is going through no yeah they're they're so in the adult world that the like it it is so difficult to communicate to them on the same level that they are on yeah which i think in this book is is looked at kind of as a tragedy of adulthood Mm mm-hmm it's something that I'm sure Hazel Grace would push back against. Yeah. Yeah. Like ever becoming an adult who can't associate with children. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And you're right. John Green really gets that super well. And so uh, basically they, they have this meet cute. Um, Augustus has like a couple of really fun quirks. Like he he never smokes cigarettes, but he always puts them in his mouth. Because it's death and he likes to have it between his teeth and never give it power because he doesn't light it. <laughs> And there's nothing hotter than like a teenager obsessed with death who isn't dark about it. Yeah. And uh, he's also like obsessed with death in other ways where like he plays like violent video games and reads yeah. violent, violent books. Uh, but he himself is a cheery person and Hazel is, is a very deep person. And they, they both um, their story kind of coalesces around this book called an Imperial affliction, which is, it's a David Foster Wallace title. Yes. 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 It's like there there are there are few authors who write such 
profound books. And uh, there was this post on on Twitter the other day where like somebody, uh, Stephen, our good friend of the pod, Stephen, a uh, good patron of the pod, Hello. Uh, texted me and he's like, uh, what's a good like uh, piece of art within another piece of art that doesn't exist outside of that piece of art. Right. And I was, I was thinking about like songs in some of my favorite books, like uh, books referenced in Tolkien or, or something like that. And I was thinking Imperial affliction is one of those great books. We'll never read because it doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's, it's a book. uh, It's, it's such a, like, let's talk about the meta-ness of this book. Uh, it's a book within a book. We don't really get to read much, but we get a, a handful of quotes. Just provided to us through Augustus and Hazel yeah. Grace. The Fault in Our Stars starts with a quotation from an imperial affliction. And he tricked me. <laughs> I hope he tricked you because I thought it was a real quote because it sounded like kind of a cheesy literary quote to use so it would have tricked me but earlier that day before i started reading it i described um the princess bride to somebody uh-huh oh mm, and i'd never heard of good. an imperial affliction and so i was like so and just to let other listeners know basically the princess bride is written by william goldman Right. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. knows this. Mm-hmm. However, on the front of the book, it says um, based on the book by S. Morgenstern mm-hmm. and S. Morgenstern isn't a real author. It's just uh, it's just William Goldman making up someone so that his book has a like a depth to it already. Yeah. And he says he just takes the good parts and makes it into a book. And then there's another William Goldman within the book that isn't the real William Goldman. It's a whole thing. <laughs> but uh, so I was actually primed and I, I, I basically read that quote and I was like, I wonder if that's real. And then immediately like 20 pages into uh, the, yeah, yeah. the novel, we get that. And so within like an hour and a half of meeting this book, I was like, Oh no, that's not a real book. Uh, also, before I forget, uh, since we're talking about forwards and prefaces and stuff like that, I thought it was interesting in lieu of our conversation about nurses and saying baby correctly. Sure. In uh, John Green's afterward, he's going through his acknowledgments, and this like caught me off guard. I was like, huh, that's an interesting way to put it. He says, you know, thanks to my wife, Sarah, who is not only the great love of my life, but also my first and most trusted reader. Also... Listen closely. Also, the baby, Henry, to whom she gave birth. I was like, huh. the baby. So is it, I like if I was writing, I'd say my baby. And I was like, maybe it's not his baby. But it 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 was a distracting <laughs> article that was like, the baby. Interesting. It's that's, just that's an a, interesting <laughs> way to put it. That's like uh, Jean-Luc Picard, when he, whenever he refers to Wesley, he's like, the boy. The boy. <laughs> yeah. It's like my name is Wesley. My name's Wesley. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I, a part of me was just kind of like, "Are you fucking with us? Is this just another like postmodern way of putting something like the quote at the beginning of the book?" Like I thought there was something kind of meta to it. I, I think there's probably an in joke because, like, if you think about it, who reads the afterwards generally? And when I saw it, I was like, maybe this is just what him and his wife call the baby. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> the baby. Yeah. 
But you're in good company because at least they will use articles of the baby, not just baby. Oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> so I, I was going to walk. <laughs> Peter Van Houten wrote an Imperial Affliction, and an Imperial Affliction is about a girl just like Hazel who also has cancer, who's dying, and whose family's going through things. And the plot involves a hamster and this Dutch man who seems to be falling in love with her mother, but we're never quite sure. And the whole thing about the book that she thinks is perfect about it is that it stops mid <laughs> you son of a bitch <laughs> yeah it's, it does stop mid-sentence um and so <laughs> hazel is obsessed with this book and has read it multiple times and just can't she wants to know what happens there's she has a perfect quote about how, describing peter van houten she says he's a someone who has not experienced death and B, someone can, the only person who can describe it perfectly. Right. Which, I mean, is if I am the person that I am now, many years down the road when I accomplish something like that and someone says that about me, I will die of too much pride. Right. <laughs> Which would be ironic because you are the one who knew death so well. But she she's obsessed with this book because it makes... It's her companion. It's the thing that unders- yeah. understands her and makes her feel understood of herself. She so, she often references how her parents, how um, like the person who runs the um, the cancer support group, how the doctors. Nobody really gets her or gets what it feels like to be that close to death. Except but she's him. She's convinced. Yeah, Peter Van Houten gets it, and so she makes Gus read this book. And she has to read The Price of Dawn, which is uh, like a like a Warhammer 40K yeah. novelization, basically. Yeah. yeah, and it makes me feel like, oh, I do this with Kelly all the time. I make him read my Star Wars books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've read Star Wars books, too. But yes, you do. But you're enjoying it. But, but it was so I'm re- enjoying them. I no, like but the that's Star Wars my point books. is it was relatable to us uh, of what we you and I read because we have totally been down the path that Gus is of like reading like tie in stories that are actually pretty good. Right. But we also read books like An Imperial Affliction. So right. I like that. I, I felt so akin to these two children. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, I, I relate to both of you so well. And I yeah. feel like. John Green must too. Yeah, totally. I, I don't know. Well, I I don't know so much about John Green's like personal life, but it feels like so much of him is in each of these characters. That's what was weird for me reading this is that he there is a pattern to Hazel's uh, interior monologue because it's in first person, and you you get to this point where you're reading it in your head and you're like, yeah, I hear a teenage girl's like voice. Sure. Because she's like, you know, that and like this stuff and the things and like the mall, blah, blah. But there's also like an adult. There's a maturity to her that mm-hmm. exists beyond what normal teenagers are generally capable of. Uh, but not which is so kinda, beyond. We get no, it. not so beyond. It's it's the, the trick of a good novel is that we all sound like Hazel Grace in our heads. Yeah. And uh, he's just able to bring that out in a way that's like, I both believe that Hazel Grace is this smart in her own head, but also is also a teenager out loud as well. Yeah. And she seems very real. And I'm glad they made a movie. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen snippets. And I know that Shailene Woodley plays Hazel. And I was just glad to put a face to this character, Mm. which made it feel even more real. Because by the end of this book, I was like, I feel like I know her. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Like, I mean, you're on this journey with her and 
I think you couldn't have done this third person. Yeah. There's just no way. I am excited to check out the movie because there's these moments in the movie. I'm like, ooh, I would love to be watching this from the third person. Not feeling Dude, it from her perspective, but from I really wonder their if they use like narration or anything for for her. I bet um, I bet there's some narration. Yeah, I bet there I'm is. When he guess there is. Okay. Uh, so they they trade books, and there's a flirtation between them, like but, a pretty hard flirtation on uh, he, Augustus's part. He goes for it. He's like, "You're hot. We should date." <laughs> and the only reason that she doesn't really is because uh, Augustus has like this history with a girl who died from cancer. Uh, I think her name's Anna. Monica. Um, Monica. It might've been Annika, but I think they call her Anna. Annika. 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 She doesn't die by train. She dies by cancer. (laughs) And um, she dies suddenly. And Hazel keeps comparing herself to her and is just like, I don't know if like Augustus just likes me because I have cancer and he's like trying to replace the girl he lost or what. And it's a really complicated situation of like teenage love. Like your life isn't already complicated trying to figure out like whether this boy likes you, but also does he like you because you're a replacement for his ex-girlfriend who's seemingly perfect and had cancer? Yeah. And it's just weird. And she just kind of, her metaphor is that she's this grenade and someday she's going to break everyone's heart in her life. Because she saw the Facebook wall of this ex-girlfriend who died of cancer and just saw how everyone was devastated by her death. And she doesn't want to do that to other people. And like that, I don't, I don't want to jump too far ahead of ourselves, but at the end of the book, the, the consensus is that it's getting hurt is kind of an unavoid, unavoidable thing in this life. And it's about who we choose to allow to hurt us. That yeah. is what makes it like life worth living. And so she's she's choosing not to hurt anybody at the moment because she doesn't want that to be like the last thing that she does is because she's always worried about dying like the next week. Yeah, and she just yeah, she doesn't want to hurt 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 those people. But eventually he kind of wins her over, right? Yeah, he really does. Like basically, I mean, it's hard not to when she she used her make a wish because she thought she was gonna die. She used her make a wish to go to Disneyland or Disney World. Yeah, um, which good on you. Should have gone to Disneyland. Disneyland's better, but yeah. uh, don't at me. And so he uses his make a wish to go to Amsterdam with her because he gets really into um, an imperial affliction. He's like, I gotta know what happens. I I've got to know what happens as well at the end of this book. And so he like contacts uh, Peter Van Houten's uh, secretary um, or assistant or whatever, and then. Um, gets Peter Van Houten to say that like he, he will tell them what happens at the end of the book if they come to Amsterdam. And so Gus like basically gets the Make-A-Wish Foundation to grant them this trip to Amsterdam. Which is such a teenage boy thing to do to get the Make-A-Wish Foundation thing. You know, you get a car, you get a Make-A-Wish Foundation to grant you gifts. It's the yeah, it's it's pretty tale as old as time. But <laughs> You know, this, I don't think you can get more grand romantic gesture than this. Oh, I mean, especially because it's, it's not only grand romantic, but it's self-sacrificing as well. Because that's his wish. It's his, literally, it's his dying wish that she gets what she needs. There's, there's something fantasy about this, isn't there? Yeah. 
where well, it's that like magical sacrifice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's like um, if if each of the oh well, but, okay. If each if they had a wish from a genie, yeah. uh, and instead of make a wish, I think it's called like the genie foundation yeah. or something. I can't remember. But if you had three wishes, but you use that last wish to free to free the genie instead of um, you know using it for your own selfish gain, then you gain a genie as a friend kind yeah, of and so he yeah. he does that selfless act that makes him even more a hero than he already was okay i would like to get into a slight quibble now to get out of my system okay go ahead quibbles and bits here we go quibbles and bits quibbles and bits quibbles and bits 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 quibbles and bits is part of a balanced podcast diet please talk to your doctor before listening quibbles and bits is for humans not dogs part of fdic and equal housing lender uh gus we, I, th- I think you can agree with me. Gus is a manic pixie dream boy. Um, so I thought a lot about that actually, um, because Gus is kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually couldn't stop thinking about him without replacing the actor from who plays Peter Kavinsky as him. Yeah, like he, like because he's kind of jockey because he used to be a basketball player, right? Yep. But then he lost his leg, so he couldn't play basketball and doesn't even like basketball anymore. But mm-hmm. I couldn't not replace Gus with the image of Peter Kavinsky because Peter is also kind of perfect yep. for the most part. Yep. Um, but I think this character I will forgive for being so because he has faced death and lived, mm-hmm. which gives you kind of a bravado that most other people don't have. And then I think I also forgive it just based on the fact that he is shown to be a very stereotypical teenage boy. Yeah. And it's almost like there are moments that are compensating of like, Oh, I've made him too perfect. Let's make him really into V for Vendetta or something. Right. (laughs) He's super into V for Vendetta and 300 and uh, like this video and playing video games. And, um, but in addition to that, like when he does die via cancer, there are times where he becomes not only a chore, but an asshole. Yeah. Because that's just like cancer eating away at you. Yeah, totally. So I don't know. I, I felt like I, I didn't think he was a manic, manic pixie dream boy just due to the fact that we met him at just the right time for him to be as perfect as he could be. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe what's funny about this book is that it's about characters that shouldn't be relatable because they're dealing with stuff that most of us don't deal with on the daily, but strangely they're super relatable. No, I mean, that's, that's the goal of art. That's the goal of writing. Like I've never been in, you know, a shipwreck, but when I see the picture, a painting of a shipwreck, I still feel something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I really relate to Hazel strangely because I've never been a teenage girl, but I, I, I feel her. Um, and I feel I feel Gus, but there's a little bit of resentment on me of like, I knew you in high school and I was always jealous and envious and I, you know, rendered you my rival. Not because you're some cancer kid and like people are like, <laughs> but because you somehow are saying the right things and I can't get two words out to the girl that I like. And you're I, somehow saying it perfectly. Again, this is kind of going back to the fact that Augustus and Hazel speak above their pay grade. Yeah. A bit. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's the sin of a sitcom. Right. Yeah. Where they're all joking back and forth and making us laugh. And why can't we joke like this in everyday life all right. the time? It's because we're escaping. Right. And, and this book, as much of as much of like like if you've read any of the like cancer um, patients and survivors who wrote not survivors, even I, I don't know at this point, but people who have had cancer who read this book and then just like was like, 
basically you are the Peter Van Houten of, of yeah. my life. Um, yeah. To John Green. It's like, yeah, he gets that, but he also is writing a novel right now. So I will call him a manic pixie dream boy, but I don't mean that's totally a bad thing. And I, I think it's something that's totally acceptable in this genre. If it was something in a diff, if it was like a just a straight laced drama, and it's supposed to be more hard hitting and just realist, then it would it would kind of like great and like it would feel wrong. Sure, but, sure, sure, sure. But what the point of what this story is trying to do is be evocative and romantic and make you feel things, and not in a cheap way, but in a real rich way. I think also it really works. Hazel Grace deserves a Gus. Yeah, <laughs> we want of, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we want we want him to exist. We 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 we're we're hoping it exists anyways. So I still accept it. So uh, just to continue on with the story, basically, we have these two, and there's a lot of back and forth between whether they're going to go or not. And Isaac, their other friend, who's in um, who's in the group who has the eye cancer, um, he has this other girl who breaks up with him right before he loses his second eye, and it's like this. Oh man, it's rough. Yeah. But like there's there's enough humor that these kids have that like really makes it not only more real, but relatable. And then they finally are allowed to go after a couple of relapses. Like I think Hazel Hazel has a relapse that like sent her to the hospital, maybe even two. She has some hard times, but she ends up getting permission to go to Amsterdam. And on the way there, Gus and her like watch a movie and then they have existential conversations (laughs) for a while. And Gus is like, I basically love you. And Hazel Grace is like, that's cool. But like on the plane, she kisses him. And uh-huh. on the plane, she's like, I can't help it. Like I'm, I'm into this guy. I, I'm, she, I, she, she is, but she can't return the affection because she is intellectualizing her situation. And she's saying, I'm not going to give into these feelings because I don't want to hurt him. Right. But right. she's but she's coming around. She's totally coming around to being in love with him. And um, like the next day, they land in Amsterdam. They go on a date where they like where there's like flowers falling from trees. It's and super romantic. Like I just wanted to be on that date so bad. Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> they try alcohol for the first time. Yeah, the champagne, and that's when he like really confesses his love. Right, is on that date. Uh, yeah, but he does so in a way that's. That's not asking anything of her because yeah, he's just saying I'm gonna be loving you because I love you. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's it's unequivocal. Yeah. And uh, then the next day they go to see Peter Van Houten, who <laughs> wasn't expecting them, and it's a train wreck, and he's a dick and an asshole, and basically he's like, I will not answer your questions. I'm just gonna get drunk and be horrible to you, you stupid cancer kids. Right, because it was his assistant Lidwig Lidwiga or something. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. She, she was the one who like was trying to get Van Houten to be less of a crappy asshole by inviting these kids here whose lives were changed by his book. Yeah. And so they go experience that. It's horrible. Then she takes them out to the Anne Frank house afterwards, right, right after their dreams are dashed. Here's where the book is like, I don't know what you're trying to do. It doesn't quite work for me, but it's fine. But it's a really weird, like, swerve. because. Well, go, talk to me about that. Because she's like, I quit. You're an asshole, Peter Van Houten. Come on, kids. I'm taking you to ice cream. I mean, Anne Frank's house. She's like, you have to come with me to Anne Frank's house. And they're like, okay, let's go to you. And it's just like, I don't know why they were so willing to go to this tourist destination with this woman that they just met. That was the first weird thing. 
So it made sense to me because there are a couple of teenagers who have just like kind of had their hearts broken a little bit and they're in a foreign country, which is also romantic. And at that point in time, you're like, yeah, I'll go to see Anne Frank because like our like what we wanted is gone. Just give us something. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So that makes sense to me. And then they have their first kiss in Anne Frank's bedroom, which is and I, I, I don't get it. It was weird. It was a weird moment. Like it was. Tell me what's weird about it. The kiss was nice, but to like, is the juxtaposition the thing of like we're in this place where these people were hiding from the Nazis and didn't want to die? It it just felt ghoulish. Ghoulish is the word for me. Okay, for for me, it felt like life is is both a a place where horrors and beauty happens, and a lot of the times they happen in the same place or to the same person and the irony of that moment um just the fact that they kind of fell in love and allowed themselves especially hazel grace allowed herself to fall in love right after such a tragedy in a place where a lot of other tragedy happened means that this world isn't solely a place where there is darkness that occurs yeah i get it it still feels irreverent and exploitative to me i i had a kiss i had a first kiss with someone in the tower of london once which was not as beautiful as this because i'm not dying of cancer right (laughs) um but but i don't know i didn't feel the same way but yeah like i i like that we get inside hazel grace's head there where she's like holy crap was this super disrespectful and then there were a a bunch of at least you're aware (laughs) Which is, is fine. Like, like if this is the thing, if there was like a couple of kids that I'd been following up a staircase and it's obvious that like one of them has cancer because they're like, you know, carrying this, they're lugging this um, oxygen up and mm-hmm. they're moving super slow and then they get up there and they have a kiss and I'm just around them. What am I going to judge them for doing that? No, no way. I'm, I'm going to think clap. it's super beautiful. I'm not going to clap. <laughs> Because you're Ryan, it's because you're not European. I guess so. (laughs) Like that was the step too far. Where I was like, I'm like, okay, like not analog, not analog. They kiss in Anne Frank's house. I'm like, okay, kind of weird, but I'm glad they're kissing. But then they started clapping for them. Like you don't know them. Like it was just kind of. It was for me the weakest point in the story in a really, really, really great book. So it's not that big of a deal. Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I get it. I I think that if you have the right group of people, it works. If not. It yeah. doesn't, and so I just admit, I I imagine in my mind this is the right. Group it it felt like I was at my grandpa's funeral, and then I just kind of turned my head and suddenly see two teenagers kissing. I'm like, "Can you? We're at a funeral. Like, can you not?" <laughs> <laughs> but they were actually the ghosts of your grandma and grandpa, <laughs> right? So, so then afterwards, they bone. They bone, and it's it's a pretty realistic boning. It's it, you know this is I love a good. Like you love a good boning, Ryan. <laughs> I know you where do. Where they both are awkward about it because sex the first time is awkward. It's not this beautiful thing that they know exactly what to do with themselves. It's weird and funny and romantic all at the same time. Great job. Well done. Yeah, great job. I I think this is probably our best losing your virginity moment. Yeah. In in our in our entire podcast. Yeah. I, I can't really describe it better than you did but it was just awkward and funny and weird but you know not sad ever yeah yeah <laughs> i think worst one still belongs to kissing booth oh god 
<laughs> Hide under the bed. I love it when we're on the gravel of Hollywood Hills. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they are uh, definitively, you know, in love, you know, and they sealed the deal as it were, as it were. Um, and they recount the tale of Peter Van Houten being an asshole to their mom, her mom. And she's like, oh, that sucks. And they kind of go home and, well, before that happens, while they're still in Europe, Augustus reveals that he is cancer has returned. Yes. And that's kind which, of the rest of the story is dealing with that. Yeah. Which I, 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 I had my writer brain on where I was like, this, this whole book is pointing us towards Hazel Grace, like going, you know, going south as far as her cancer is concerned. I bet it's going to be Augustus. And me too. I mean, it's kind of like one or the other, because if it was both, it would be this Romeo and Juliet thing. But, sure, you know, and like on the back where like, they both gave themselves <laughs> cancer on the back of the book. It's like, oh, it's a beautiful tragedy. This tragic romance is so wonderful. This tragic thing that is tragic is very tragic. I'm like, OK, so someone's going to die at the end of this. So I like that you bring up Shakespeare, though, because this book, um, A Fault in Our Stars, mm-hmm. is uh, the title is based off of uh, Julius Caesar, uh, Act One, Scene, uh, um, where the I'm going to paraphrase here, but basically, um, Caesar, uh, no, it's not Caesar. Who's the other guy with the C? Brutus. No, no. Brutus is the person that um, they say it to. Cleopatra. No, that's a different play. Uh, uh, Caius. Cassian Andor? Cassius. 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 Thank you. Cassius. (laughs) Cassian Andor. (laughs) What am I thinking? Uh, He says, uh, the fault, dear Brutus, um, is not in our stars, but but ourselves, um, that we are underlings. But the whole whole thing is Uh, that- Something after that. The whole thing is that Augustus and Hazel, the fate of their love is that their stars are aligned, but the fault- is that it can't, you know, it can't be for right. long. But right. the beauty of this story, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the beauty of the story is that however long your life is, whether it's 17 years or 87 years, is that you have the privilege to love and to be loved. And gosh darn it, Moulin Rouge was on to something. <laughs> but <laughs> I, that that's why that line from that movie is so beautiful. Like the 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 movie as a whole is craziness. But right. That that line sticks with you. I I think the fault in our stars is nailing what Moulin Rouge was trying to get at, and for some people did get at, but for me, I sure. missed it altogether. But people, for people who enjoy Moulin Rouge and can get into the story of what Nicole Kidman's going through, it's pretty similar to to this. I, I think if you if you are someone who imagines your death often enough, which a lot of teenagers do, um, I'm definitely one of those people that has imagined his death to death as a manner of speaking. Mm. Um, Sounds like you're a writer. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of everything, like what is going to matter? Is it going to be like the amount of books that you've written or the people that love you when you die? Right. Um, is, is kind of where we end at this, the end of this book. And for Van Houten, who ends up showing up at Peter's or at Augustus's funeral to apologize to Hazel, like he's sad. Yeah. He's 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 trying to recompense for all of the all of the pain that he's caused rather rather than revel in all of the love he's received or given. And the thing with Peter, let's wrap that up. 
we'll, we'll wrap up some things because we're, whoa, 50 minutes. So we got to wrap <laughs> the story up. Sure. But Peter's Peter Van Houten's thing is Hazel figures out, oh, you had a daughter who died of cancer right. and I dressed up as her in your house. And that's why you got properly pissed because you should right. have. And, and not only, I mean, he, properly pissed is one thing, but slovenly drunk angry yeah. at a, a teenager is another thing but but there's some understanding that happens mm-hmm. between them and um, he didn't want to finish the story because he can't possibly deal with contemplating who his daughter could have become and he can't right. answer hazel's an- questions he can't he can't know it he doesn't know because the mother figure has left him he doesn't know what happened to her because and that's, she's gone and that's kind of reflected in um Who's Isaac's girlfriend again? Uh, maybe his girlfriend's Monica. Man, maybe I should have Spark Notes open or something. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't remember her name. But basically, she leaves Isaac right before he goes blind because she just can't. She's seventeen. She can't handle being like a a girlfriend, potentially a long term partner of someone who has cancer, mm-hmm. and it really like hits Isaac hard that he is like a burden yeah. basically. And uh, like, I, I feel like on the other side of that is Peter Van Houten who did stick it out, but then lost that person. Yeah. Ugh, which is just so difficult. And so you understand why he is a drunk these days. Even if you can't approve of it, you can understand. Exactly. Yeah. So the rest of the story goes that Augustus and Hazel try to enjoy his last days as much as they can and just be together and be in love with one another. And they just kind Mm -hmm. of spend their days like that. And eventually the cancer just um, devours him and he dies. And I hate my masculine upbringing because I wouldn't let myself cry because it was kind of inconvenient (laughs) to do it in a bar. (laughs) And I was like, I don't want to have to explain myself. I don't want to have to say, well, look at what I'm reading, you a-holes. Stop judging oh. me. All right. Next time, next time, what I want you to do is order a sweet drink. Okay. Uh-huh. We as a society have finally gotten to the point where we realize that a little salt really enhances some sweet. Yeah. And so you get yourself a nice port. You just cry straight into that drink Ugh. and you'd be like, I'm doing it because it makes it better. But I was essentially crying when, when the death happened. And I mean, it's tough. It really wrecked me. And gosh, this uh, this book is it's not only sad, but it's hopeful because Hazel Grace ends in a good place. Like she reads at his funeral and she, like her and Isaac's um, uh, eulogies are just both absolutely gorgeous. Um and then Hazel also learns through um, Ludwig, Ludwig or yeah. Van Houten, one of the two of them, that Augustus has written an obituary for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like she, she, she's just happy that she, she's just happy that she was able to live happily with him for a time. Because he talks about how we can be scars on one another, and it kind of like right. reflects on Hazel's like, "I'm a grenade. I'm going to kill you." I'm going to destroy you. And he's like, no, the, the people you love become scars on you and there's pain there, but it also is a mark of the love that was also there. And, and Hazel is just like, I'm glad I have this scar. (laughs) Like you recounting it, like people go read, if you haven't read this book and you listen to this whole story and we ruined the entire plot of it, we really didn't. (laughs) 
because the writing itself is really what makes it worth it. And this like experiencing the story from Hazel's eyes is from her heart is, is really like it's uh, we talk a lot about love on this podcast and the arc of her love and learning what love is and allowing it to kind of infect her as much as the cancer has is something that I think people should experience. I think that people should read this book. It's a really great book. So I got uh, the last uh, 10, 20 pages I was reading in bed and Sarah was getting ready to go to bed. And I like closed the book, put the book down, felt that. And Sarah was like, in the midst of getting ready to go to bed, which was like, she was talking about things, but she's like, she wasn't talking, but she was like dealing with her hair, like getting the baby monitor set up, just like all these little things. And I literally was like, I told her, I'm like, can you just please get into bed now? I need to hold you. <laughs> and she's I mean, like, that's... okay. And I'm like, I read the fault in our stars. <laughs> I need you to understand where I'm at. Come get over here. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I, I was in Atlanta. I know exactly how you feel. I, I was so far away from my oh. wife and I, I just had to like Skype her that night and be like, Hey, I just wish I could hold you is all. I just want to tell you, I love you just in case like my plane crashes on the way oh, home. Just the book oh. makes you feel so, and this is the thing when we write about death, it makes you reflect on life, it just makes you understand your life and makes you so grateful for the love you have in your life. And I don't think it would impact me at all if I didn't have Sarah. If I was reading it and wasn't in love, I don't know if I would give. You don't think it would have given you like wishful? Wishful. Like it would make me feel I want a love like that, but not make me feel it so like deep in my heart. Wholeheartedly. Just like yeah. that pit in that hole in your heart of like feeling like you got shot, of just like, oh. But it would make me th- like that was the other thing of what I appreciate about this book is that if I had read it when I was like 19 or something, it would make me wistful, really optimistic way that the irony of, I want to love like theirs, but I don't want to have cancer like them, but there's something about their love story that feels eternal and not a, gee, we're dying, let's make the most of it. It's like, I am yours and you are mine, and there's something about us that you know is faded between us, and I just I- get it. I think the word is compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where there's a, there's a there's a way we all want to love as humans. <laughs> there's a way we want to love the people that are are not only worth our love that but we hope to also be loved. Um and what we what I think this book is telling you is regardless of whether you're dying right now or not, try to find that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On that note, Let's take a little break. I'm going to come back for Chope Talk. Um, Robin's going to bring us in this time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, let me make sure we're still, okay, we're still going. Um, you say, welcome back to Trope Talk. <laughs> welcome back to Trope Talk. It's like Nope Talk, but with more yeses. <laughs> <laughs> very good, baby. I'll see you later, eh? See, that's the variation is in the response to the trope itself. If it's nope talk, more yeses. That's new. Yeah, that's new. Good job, Robin. See, we need that that other person giving us more rhymes. Uh, I was going to say... We need that Sandra Bullock. (laughs) We need that heat. We need the heat. 
I was gonna say mope talk, but with more crying because this is a sad no. Don't day. don't. Act. Oh, we're gonna cut that out. We're gonna yeah, we have to use that next time. I don't time. know when else we're gonna use that though. That's pretty good though. Okay, so what's the trope this week? I want to talk about fate. Yes. There. Uh, I, okay, we have fault in our stars for certain Shakespeare all about stars because star-crossed lovers mm-hmm. is also kind of in a way what these characters are yes faded lovers faded to maybe not faded to be together but faded to die like the rest of us are oh but God. you know that's the that's, i'm gonna drink <laughs> yeah that's a good time to drink it's the interesting thing about this story is that it makes you think about romeo and juliet because he's intentionally evoking yep shakespeare so it's like okay we get to compare this to shakespeare then uh romeo and juliet it's just kind of like Bad timing slash poor communication that is the cause of death. Have you ever had somebody that you think that you could have dated if only the timing was a little bit better? No, that's you. (laughs) Because you're the kind of guy who has the dating history where things just didn't quite cross at the same time me i was always available it was it was not a matter of timing it was a matter of me not having the greatest personality <laughs> fair and and with hazel grace and gus it's it's not like there could have been a better timing unless it was before they had cancer which for them was kind of never because they basically were like hey puberty oh you come with cancer uh, okay i didn't know that was the side dish i was getting yeah. okay great the side effect of life so let's talk about fate yeah uh there's something about in this book the the irony is like what brings them together is being at the same uh support group because they both have cancer Mm -hmm. but they can relate neither of them necessarily want to be there neither of them one is supporting a friend Mm -hmm. and the other one is just there for their mom they really understand each other so deeply because they both have been dealing with cancer and at the time that they meet each other are semi survivors of what they've been hit by so far. Yeah. They've both been very close to death. And so they kind of understand each other that no other person can like in this book, she has a friend that she goes to the mall with sometimes. And it's like, she's nice, but she doesn't get it. No. And she doesn't, she doesn't try to get it. She's like, Oh, we're kind of of our own. We're, we're, we're going to pretend like life is normal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but the, but Gus and Hazel, they understand each other on this deep level. The, the question is, would they fall in love if neither of them had the cancer? I think that question is both legitimate and the same question we could ask of any couple ever. And I think, I think it is an, an essential question to ask of any, any movie we watch of ourselves where it's not, would they fall in love without necessarily the cancer but would any two people fall in love without all of the experiences that they've had before right like you've got mail uh would joe fox and meg ryan were it not for these uh business rivalries would they have still have the same experience that gets them to a place where they could have been lovers right and it's it's i mean if we're talking about fate it's one of those things that we We'll never have the answers to because the cosmos is in charge. Yeah. And if we're talking about David Foster Wallace at the same time or someone like Peter Van Houten, I think both of them would say that fatalism is is bunk and we we are not necessarily fated to 
have things occur to us, but we simply exist in a a never-ending swirling of chance and consequence. The never-ending story. Wow, that was weird. But we don't really we don't really see. Well, I think what we need to define here is the difference between fate and destiny, because we see destiny all the time in our genre, or at least the implication of such. Uh, Tell me about it. Okay, so, I mean, the very premise of romantic storytelling is that these two people are destined to be together by the end of this story. (laughs) Because the screenwriting god has willed it to be. Kind of. We, We, like you were saying before with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan... If we were to spoil that story, it wouldn't be something that was necessarily so tragic because it would be something that we expected the gods had put forth. Mm-hmm. The stars were already aligned that these two to be would be together. It's just that we haven't seen the story of how that plays out. So there's this movie, and I really want to watch it, and I can't believe I can't remember the name of it because the premise sounded so fascinating to me. I'm like, oh, I got to watch that. Uh, but there's this movie, and viewers, if you know it, please DM us on Instagram. I really want to know. Wait, wait, how do you know I don't know it? Uh, okay, I'll describe it to you. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> the, the movie tells two parallel stories, or maybe one story that's told in parallel with two characters. It's up to you which one is the one that means correct things. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, my, my eyes have gone. Okay. Continue. <laughs> It tells two stories about a man and a woman, and we see them living their lives individually, and they don't know each other. They're not in each other's world. And for the whole duration... Oh, Sleepless... I know the Sleepless It's not Sleepless in Seattle. The whole duration of the film, we're watching them go through, you know, their life and going through plot obstacles and becoming the person that they're supposed to become. Do you know what this is? Oh, 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 yeah, it's Sleepless in Seattle. (sighs) No! Sorry, continue. It gets to a point at the end of the movie where we basically see their stories converging, that they're just about to meet and not... Oh, oh, it's Sleepless in Seattle! (sighs) (laughs) Not because she's been virtually stalking him the whole film. But the whole point is the movie ends with us seeing them right about to meet and the effect that has been created is that we know both characters so well that we know as soon as they meet, they're going to fall in love. And it, it's, that's where it ends. And there's something about... Is it Russian? I it sounds Russian. I, it's either French or Italian or something. If Viewer, listener, if you know what I'm talking about, I want to watch this movie. But I, that's the premise I heard. And I thought that was so fascinating. Because I think there is something fateful about that aspect of... The things that happen in our lives, like me and Sarah get along really well, and I don't think it's down to one thing, whether it's fate or destiny or whatever, but for whatever reason, there has been accidents in my life that have created me in such a way, and there's been accidents in her life that created her in such a way that the accident of Ryan and Sarah is this beautiful chemical compound of love, and that's the crazy thing about life. Well, I I think the... um there, there, have, there have been countless numbers of philosophers who have tried to like pinpoint exactly how to describe this because I don't think you can. I think most philosophers would say there is 
no way that we know the calculation behind the uh, behind the love, but we might be able to describe it in the perfect words. Um, I, I think Plato is one of the people who have who have or sorry, um, not Plato, uh, Aristotle, who has um, tried to describe this in um, wait was it Plato? Poetics. Uh, who's, who's Aristotle? Aristotle. Thank you. Um, where he describes love as simply perfect harmony where two things that are different fit together, even though they come from disparate sources. Mm -hmm. And he says that that is, that is literally what creation is. That is what, that is what the universe is from a, a top down perspective. Anything that is creating or moving or progressing, it is all, he can he can describe it all as love, which is simply the universe being in harmony, mm, mm-hmm. and that is like you and you and Sarah will take as a a for instance where the two of you have gone through your lives in such a way that not only were you able to meet, but you were able to meet at a time and place which eventually led to you being where you are now, which is in love together with a child. Yeah, uh, you know, and it- and and it's it's bizarre, and I think probing it kind of steals the what ryan what does it steal uh my money the romance the romance right yeah 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 yeah. because <laughs> because there's a certain amount of probing that we can do that is like ah this is we appreciate it but if we probe it any further it kind of steals the romance out of it because in mystery there is romance like we can have you ever seen somebody harmonize like like do you watch any instagram videos of people who are like okay I'm going to sing all three parts to this song. I'm going to sing the harp. The most recent version of this is that Theo will just randomly go, ah, because he's a child. (laughs) (laughs) And my wife will go, ah, like she'll like harmonize with his like babbling. And it makes his, it makes his random, ah, really beautiful. Uh huh. (laughs) Now, now there's something great about that because what Sarah has done is learned through through practice um, the ability to find those harmonies. Mm-hmm. But you, as an appreciator, are someone who can appreciate those harmonies for no discernible reason other than the fact that they go together orally for you perfectly, just like the Valar in the Silmarillion. Yeah, you're right. Singing creation into existence. I mean, a lot of that is taken from Aristotle. Um, but the, I don't know. There, there is, there is just something so beautiful to disregarding fate, isn't there? Yeah, I, I, and it's a weird. the The thing that I feel about my own love story that feels eerie to me is, for me, I would call it a spiritual feeling. Uh, others would call it maybe something else, but I don't think it's tethered to any kind of religious thought. It's more of a universal thought of I knew in my heart and in my spirit that I needed to go to Whitworth for school. Mm. And that's where I met Sarah. And when I pursued Sarah, we got along as friends. She did not want to date me. She made it so clear to me (laughs) several times that she was not interested in dating. And you were witness to, to that whole ordeal. And again, I felt spiritually 
whatever, you know, whatever else you would call that in your own life. But I felt spiritually that in spite of her saying that, that I was going to patiently wait for her until she wanted to date me. And so Mm. I didn't stalk her. I didn't creep on her. I was just like, okay, I'll stop asking. We won't date, but I still feel like we someday will. And then years later we did. And marry the making the decision to marry her was kind of tethered to that spiritual feeling of like, I feel it in my heart to spend the rest of my life with her and be married to her. And there's just something spiritual. And it felt, I wouldn't call it fate or destiny, but I would call it spiritual. So that kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier with Robin and I talking about existentialism. She was talking about a Buddhist... Um, description of 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 zen which means no mind Mm -hmm. uh where you set aside thinking about something or you are able to come to a point where you where you can't actually describe what you experience but it's like feeling a oneness with the universe and i feel like um the feeling of of being fated to be with someone in in a in a very slim way is very akin to that like romantic spirituality where it's like this I don't know why but I feel like I should and will be with this person. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes sometimes that doesn't end up coming to fruition right. because I felt I felt that a couple of times where like in the back of my psyche, those feelings still exist, but you know, we are all still humans who make choices based on our biology Mm -hmm. here. (laughs) And, and we, we don't, we don't see all of the stories that we see in our head as humans with imaginations to fruition, but here and in the now where we have kind of come to a point of, 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 I mean, if you want to call it destiny, you can call it destiny. When we've gotten to this point, there is an absolute beauty to it. And I mean, that's what we're talking about here on this podcast is just love. And the relationship between Hazel and Gus, that's why I was like needing Sarah to, to snuggle with me at the end of this book <laughs> because yeah, I related totally. so much because there was this kind of spiritual connection between them. There was this like, thing pulling them together and i'm not saying that in like in a specifically judeo-christian thing it's like it's it's broader than that it's just there's this 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 force that's yeah. that's pulling them together and it was like when gus died and hazel with, was without him i was right there with her i'm like oh my god i lost my love and i was like sarah get over here <laughs> <laughs> because the rest of that night i was waxing eloquent towards sarah and just kind of like back to my younger self when I would just kind of babble these love phrases to her of just say praising her so much because it just the book made me think about my own love so deeply and god damn it that's the point of these stories on this show right exactly I'm so glad that we got here because there is there is nothing more useful in art than reflecting like Hey, there's this important thing. You have this inside of you. We all have this inside of you. And what I'm going to do is remind you of it. Mm-hmm. And this book does that. It really reminds us of all those things that we know are important, but sometimes set aside in order to accomplish something or in order to, like, you know, take care of our children during the day or to, you know, I don't know, 
uh, for, for, for whatever reason, we set aside the most important things and art brings us back to those most important things. And this book does it so fucking well. <laughs> God damn it, John Green. You did it. And I, you did it. You son of a bitch. Just reading this book, though, I did realize I'm like, yeah, you peaked, man. There's no way you, you can like match this or surpass this. This is your peak. Be okay with it, sir. Well, I, 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 um, yeah, who knows? Like, I don't want to put that on him, but it's, I th- it's going to be hard. I think it's akin to Spielberg when he made E.T. Like, mm, that's a mm. perfect movie. Well, I mean, there's other people who don't appreciate E.T. as much as Indiana Jones. So I think it's a lot of, you know, at least what for me, you yourself connect to. At least yeah. for me. I, th- I mean, I'm, I'm on the same, po- I'm on at the same point with, uh, uh, with Mr. Spielberg. Yeah. So speaking of Spielberg, ask me the question. Now, I, I, don't, I don't see any hearts of Jesus around you, Ryan, <laughs> but I think you might have some rom-com Oscars! Um, I'm going with the, the big one, the biggie best, best book. (laughs) That's not fair. We do one book a year. (laughs) I just really want to have them do that award at the Oscars and just have Tom Hanks up there and just see him going best, best book, book. (laughs) No, I'm going with best romance. Yeah. Best romance. Why is this the best romance? Because their love story made me feel love in a primordial sense of the Mm. deepest part of my personhood. I felt their love, which is fiction. This is fictional. This This is something that someone concocted. And I felt it deep into my bones and made me pursue my own lover that is the beauty of romantic storytelling so i'm i'm just going to jump right on the back of that mine was going to be best romantic story and so i i'm just going to say best romance right along with you this is uh double jeopardy yeah um i i think it was in terms of like the attraction and the flirtation part is actually something that i don't really actually care for ironically because she's like oh man gus you're so interesting i'm like actually i don't think he's that interesting i think he's just a genuinely good dude no but you also think Sarah is genuinely interesting, right? Yes. I think that that is a component of love. Right. But she is like, oh, now that you've done this really interesting thing, now I know that I'm in love with you. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the clincher for me with Sarah. It wasn't this yeah. specific uh, quirk. But, but when she, uh, I guess love, love wise, what it's not what makes her fall in love with him. Remember? Because she, she is attracted to him. Yeah. Immediately. And then she is intrigued by him, by how interesting he is. Yeah. Right? And what makes her fall in love with him eventually is his, basically his support of her. Mm. Yeah. Because for me, yeah. it's, you, you, okay, you, I stand corrected then. You, you are correct. Because when I think about Sarah, uh, the thing that made me like her was when she was at my uh, house in college and she was super excited to hear like the THX sound effect on the Empire Strikes <laughs> yeah, Back. Yeah, I remember that. 
that I, I left the house at that point in time. And <laughs> when she, <laughs> when she was <laughs> like, like the, you know, the tones are going low and like Sarah's like grabbing the armrest and she's like, Oh yeah. I'm like, Oh, do you, are you into stuff like this? And like, it goes, she was like screaming. She's like, yeah. Cause like I had the cool sound system. I was like, Oh no, I've got a huge crush on you now. I didn't say that. Oh, a huge crush. I thought you were going to say something. Well, else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what I came to realize that I loved about Sarah is her genuine empathetic kindness towards everybody, which is why she's a good therapist because you have to have that mm, quality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. her way of looking at people and me and everyone else is that she has the kindest heart towards others. And I've never seen her with wrath or malice. I've always seen her just have love for others and kindness towards them. And that's what I love about her. And it's something similar to what uh, Hazel saw and Gus. So bravo. Bravo. And actually, I, I mean, I don't mean to just piggyback, but like one of the main sticking points of me falling in love with Robin was that we were driving home from her place to my place at one point in time. And she was like, you know what? I just want to, I want everybody to be able to love each other just a little bit more. Mm. And to actually, she talked about empathy as well and blah, blah, blah. But like that's again, another one of the reasons why I fell in love with her too. So I think you and I chose some pretty good partners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, on that note, what do you want to ask me a question? <laughs> yeah, who would you fall in love with? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly, I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul, and I love, I love, I love you. I know. Okay. 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 Who am I? Okay. 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 I don't know, Columbo. You're so close. <laughs> Just Grandpa and Princess Bride. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. My impressions are almost perfect. <laughs> um, who, who would I fall in love with? Hmm. I think... Look, I love Hazel Grace. But I think we've kind of already acknowledged that Gus is pretty freaking amazing yeah ah they're two really great characters do you have a better do you have an answer yeah i do go you go first uh hazel definitely definitely it's a it's a it's that's the funny thing about art too what we were saying of like this book made me you know realize how much i loved my wife but at the same time I was transported back to being a peer of Hazel and being 17 again and thinking about, okay, if I met her in my life and she was in my life, I think I would at least have a crush on her. And if I got to be Gus, I too would just be absolutely bonkers in love with her. 
uh, just because, you know, she's wise beyond her years. She doesn't bullshit. She's smart and she has passions. And yeah, I think she's a, a totally lovable person. Um, so easily her. And reading this book, I was like, man, why couldn't I be like Gus back in high school? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't ever had a chance because there's something about Gus being the way he is because he's faced down harder hardships than I could ever possibly imagine. And that's part of why he is the way that he is. Sure. And yep. I, I don't think if I had a chance to meet a person like Hazel, I just would have blown it. There's no version of a 17 year old Ryan who could have been able to be eloquent in the way that a relationship could have happened. I I'm I'm very similar or even if a relationship would have happened I would have royally screwed it up I don't think it would have ended in love I think it would have been as the parents say in this book puppy love I think it would have been something that would have been nice but wouldn't have been able to get to the depths that they go to I I think I'm um, going to also say Hazel Grace because um, there's somebody who there's something about someone who has the appreciation for things deeper than even I can fully comprehend that I am immediately attracted to mm-hmm. where Hazel, Hazel has empathy. We, we get to know Hazel really well through, I mean, it's not really fair to Gus who is our, I think we can both admit our um, runner up here mm-hmm. um, where we get to know Hazel Grace much better than Gus, but there's something about her. She wants, she knows how hard it is on her parents losing her. Mm-hmm. And she wants to make up for that. Mm-hmm. There's there's something about her that she she cares about the deep mysteries of life and like trying to discover that which does not exist, which is basically that which only exists in Peter Van Houten's brain. Yeah, <laughs> that I am supremely attracted to. And um, even if I never would have been able to hold on to that in high school, I think I'm falling in love with her or I fell in love with her while reading this book. So I'm going to also pick Hazel Grace. Cool. Well, I don't want to say anything more on the subject because I think we will just make it worse. (laughs) I think we've, we've done the most justice we can to convey to you. We love this book so much. We love the story. So much. Bravo, John Green. Please go read this book. You guys, it's so wonderful. And if you didn't like the book, then there's the door. Yeah. Uh, You can feel free to stop listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, Ryan, uh, that's okay. I don't think we have any letters this week, do we? Well, I'm going to cheat and say that we did because uh, this technically came... Did John Green write us? (laughs) Technically, this came through our Patreon, and I'm going to shout it out anyways. Hey, Flo. Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. Uh, it was our birthday party over the weekend, and we got to see Woo! we got to see Stephen Carly. And at some point in the night, Carly and I were talking about anime, and I was like, you know, I haven't really watched anime, and and the only anime that even barely can be counted as anime and doesn't really is Avatar: The Last Airbender. And mm. I was like, what, what should I watch? And she like recounted it to me. And I think both of us realized a few days later, uh, probably didn't stick over the, uh, over the course of drinking. So she wrote, uh, <laughs> through the Patreon, 
to DM me about the shows that I should check out. She's like, so ask, I need to know first, what do you like about Avatar so that I can recommend the proper anime series to you? And I talked about how Avatar is so creative, so imaginative. The fighting isn't epic per se. It's just unique that you have all these different skill sets and Toph fights the way that she fights and Katara Mm. fights the way that she fights. And I just like a show that kind of like leans into the individuality of the fighters and not just about like going super Saiyan and just being bombastic. (laughs) Sure. You know, Uh, and so she recommended uh, Full Metal Alchemist FMA. Yeah. Which I have also recommended Uh to you a couple times. And she also recommended Trigun. The funny thing about these recommendations is that those are the only two animes that I've seen a handful of episodes of. <laughs> mm, <laughs> and so I'm like, see, okay, I, I'm going to binge them now. I, I've never seen, I've seen like a couple episodes of Trigun, which isn't fair. You should always give something like five or six episodes before you, you really judge it. Um, but I have watched all of Full Metal Alchemist twice. It's one of those ones, get past the first five episodes mm-hmm. and then it'll really hook you. Yeah. Um, I would also say with you describing that the, the desire to see more characters who have like their own individual fighting styles or personalities, Samurai Champloo is another one of those where you have like two or three disparate characters whose styles or personalities are so distinct, Mm -hmm. but complement each other's a lot. So that's, that's another one I would say. Well, uh, next week. We are getting the fruition, the fruits of our poll. Fruits. This month, our poll has been decided. We are watching Beginners next week, starring the lovely Ewan McGregor. And I think, was it um, Christopher Plummer's last role? Not even a little. <laughs> no. Oh, it was one of it was one of his many last roles. Yeah. <laughs> Came out 10 years ago. And it was one of the first gifts that Sarah got for me was a DVD of Beginners, so mm, which nice. I just promptly replaced with Blu-ray of. <laughs> ah, love. <laughs> <laughs> so the next poll for next month, our August movie, is Olympics-themed because it's the Olympics, if you haven't noticed. Yep, 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 yep. So your choices are Tin Cup, Wimbledon, She's the Man, and The Cutting Edge, and Kelly, we posted this poll mere hours ago, and we already have a front runner. Uh, who is the that? The Cutting Edge is, is currently nice. in the lead. Ryan, have you seen any of these films? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen all four of them. Um, I, I, I would love to rewatch The Cutting Edge because I, uh, my. Mo- uh, my mom showed it to me years and years ago. And so she's the only point of like reference that I have for it. She's the only person who I can reference this movie with. And so I, I hope that one wins that way you and I can reference it as well. Cool. Um, so yeah, vote, go to our Patreon. Oh, 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 speaking of uh-huh. our Patreon, uh-huh. I forgot what uh, the train man came by today. Oh, he oh, was it. Was it okay? Was it like last time where he was super drunk? He was holding, uh, he was holding a, a bucket of uh, firecrackers, and uh, he, uh, those are illegal, I think, yep, right now. And he said he was going to go to our forests here in Oregon and cause some mayhem. No, <laughs> train man, what are you thinking? Uh, and so on his way out, he left this letter, which was your essay for the week. 
God damn it. Okay, well, at least you didn't bring more burnable material with Your him. essay this week talks about how we use sports language so often to talk about our uh, our daily lives. And we do it a lot, especially in our love lives of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought of the phrase, you know, uh, playing the game, like don't hate the play, I hate the game. Oh, see, I didn't even think about that one. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, another one like he's out of your league or uh, the mm-hmm. ball is in your mm-hmm. court, stuff like that. And sure, it's just sure, sure. funny that even if you're not a sports person there that is your go-to analogy and uh, it's just an interesting way of looking at love as a game you know uh, it's it's the kind of thing that uh benedict and beatrice is that their names yes well i know beatrice is also in shakespeare right Uh, that's them (laughs) and um Much Ado About Nothing. As you like it? Much Ado About Nothing. My, yeah, that's the uh, one. There's, there's some gamesmanship in that. People are playing with other people's hearts, and it's delightful. There, I mean, there is a um, wonderful competition, especially in the beginning of love. Uh, so, yeah, check out that essay. Uh, also, also this month, we're dropping our, our bonus episode for the month. It will be on Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, because we did In the Heights. In the Heights. With... Good morning, Usnavi. <laughs> With good morning, Usnavi Smits. <laughs> We're going to be doing some compare and contrast because uh, Hamilton is up on Disney Plus, so we can finally watch the thing that catapulted him to fame and see, you know, what's what's good, what's bad, what works, what doesn't work, and it's your contention that Hamilton is a much better example of what Miranda is capable of. Yeah, well, I mean, just like any of us artists, he. Um he evolves and he becomes um, more of himself and he's able to do more of what he wants to do. And I don't know, it's, it's hard to judge anybody off of their, their freshman triumph because there's, there's, there's always something that comes after and we always learn from our mistakes and grow as artists. So I think I like, I like Hamilton more than in the Heights personally. Cool. Well, that's what's up. Go to patreon.com slash romcom gents to vote in the poll, read the essays, listen to bonus episodes, and help us feed our kids. Yeah, those are all admirable goals. <laughs> uh, Ryan, I just want to say that I'm glad that we met each other when we did. Mm, damn. It was the perfect time. That's a good one. I will just say... I love you in that fateful spiritual way as my best friend. And this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. See you next week on the Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. Oh, uh, would you have any in your pockets right now? Uh, no, hold on, I'll set that over. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that either. That's insensitive. <laughs> um...